Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, yes, I hope you're doing well. I, if it's okay with you, I'll take a few moments just to look around the room and see some scary, friendly faces. Sorry. Joe, what are you doing over there? You're on the wrong side. Anyways, uh, it's so great to be with all of you. If we haven't met, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the many leaders here at the church, and it's a real joy of mine to share with you um, and lead our Bible study that we have together. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to work through verses 15 through 21. If you're visiting Renaissance, know this, one of the things that we love to do here at the church is just kind of work our way through books of the Bible. So a number of weeks ago, we started a study in the book of Galatians, and we're going to stay in Galatians kind of verse by verse until we finish it in a few more weeks, probably eight more weeks or so. Here's a real funny story. How many people were here a number of years ago when we were still meeting downstairs and we went through the book of Matthew and it took us two and a half years? Anybody remember that? (laughs) Oh my gosh, Ben, you remember? Ben would know, of course he would. (laughs) It's so great. What were we thinking two and a half years? I'm just telling you. But we do that intentionally so that we can really immerse ourselves into the the book. We can read the verses in context of one another. And if maybe it's just me, but I feel like we learn things just a little bit better when we slow down and spend time doing that. So we're continuing our study in the book of Galatians. And I just want to um, warn, warn is probably the wrong word, but I want to just preface what I'm about to say to let you know that some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is a bit heady. We're going to talk about the doctrine of justification which is the very thing you were hoping we would talk about when you came to church today. (laughs) Like, this is not words you use when you go to shop at Von Mar or Walmart, like justification. No one's talking about this, but know this, that we all have sort of a theology or a doctrine or a belief of justification. We all operate with one in our lives, and I'll define what that is in a little bit. But the question for us is, do we have the right one? Is the right one operating in our lives? Have we, have we realized the right things about justification? Justification, it might be best just to give you sort of a metaphor what this looks like. I want you to picture a courtroom, if you will. And this is like a very common example of how to understand justification. If you picture a courtroom with a judge sitting on her bench or his bench, and, and there's a, a criminal, it's alleged, we, you know, whatever, right? Alleged person who's broken the law that's come in and standing before the judge, and the case is laid out before the judge, and it's, it's come to be proven that this person has broken the law. They've broken whatever statute was not supposed to be broken, and they've done so. This person is, we should we say, guilty of this. In fact, let's go one step further. Let's, let's say they admitted to their guilt. So there's no question as to whether or not they've done this. This is not a glove doesn't fit situation. I'm talking about... <laughs> uh, too soon? Anyway, so... Um, so th- this person is guilty. And, and what if this, this judge then declares the person, the guilty criminal, not guilty? We would say to ourselves that, that, selves, that this is an unjust judicial system. Yes? Th- th- this is not right. This, that, that judge should be unseated from the bench. 
that they're not a right person. They don't know the difference between right and wrong and, 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 and punishment, etc. So when we talk about justification, we're talking about a person who stands before a judge, a person who has the right to judge them, and they've been convicted of the very thing that they, they've broken the law against. Now in Christ Jesus, and this is where it gets really great for us, in Christ Jesus, we stand before God, okay, who is the just judge of the universe, say amen, yes, he is. We stand before him as sinners who have broken his commands. Yes, we, we admit to that, some of us, not so readily, but we admit to that. But then God then looks to us through Jesus and says, not guilty. But we cannot call God unjust, why? Because he has condemned someone, it's just not you. He has found someone guilty. It's you, but he's placed his punishment upon someone else. And who is that someone else? Say it with me now. Jesus. Well done. Thank you. You guys pay attention. We are guilty. And God is just in his giving punishment. But he doesn't put his punishment upon us. He actually placed it upon his son, Jesus. And Jesus, like that sacrificial lamb in the story of Passover, he gave his own life for us. So now we have been given, we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ. I told you this is a little heady stuff. We've been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at us, it's, he looks at us as if we've never sinned before. Is that good news for someone? Now hear me when I say this. He did not turn the clock back. Right? He's not rewinding everything so that you've never sinned. Hear me. You have sinned before God. I have sinned before God. But because of Christ's righteousness given to me, imputed to me, God looks at me as if I've never sinned. I have. I've just been pardoned through Jesus Christ. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, we call the gospel what? Good news. It is such good news because if Christ had not done this for us, at, at some point on judgment day, whenever that comes for us, the day you breathe your last, we would stand before a perfect and holy and a righteous God and he would condemn us. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. We've been justified before God through Jesus Christ. Amen. This passage that we're going to read, 15 through 21, is Paul, the apostle's Apostle Paul's thesis for the whole book of Galatians. This is his sort of thesis on what he's trying to talk to the church in Galatia about. And in, in this passage is what many scholars call the cornerstone of our faith. This doctrine of justification is so primary for us that everything else in our Christian experience and life hinges upon, is built upon this idea. That if we do not have this right it will wreck so many other things in our lives. In fact, that is what Peter and Paul are having a disagreement about. If you are here last week, Pastor Josh came in and taught us through the verses just before this where the Apostle Paul had gone to Peter and told him to his face. He even says, I got in his face about some stuff because Peter was being what? A hypocrite. Specifically, Peter was doing this, that he was... Obviously, if you know the story of Peter, he's a Jewish Christian now. He's followed Jesus. He believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And he's in Antioch with these bunch of other Gentile Christians, other Christians who believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, all that. But they're not Jewish, but they're Christians. And they're, they're uh, celebrating meals together. They're, they're, what's the church word for this? Fellowshipping, right? That's such a whatever word, <laughs> right? They're fellowshipping. <laughs> Why do they just say hanging out? I'm just saying. But they're hanging out together, sharing a meal together, and Peter's with them. But at some point, there are some uh, other Jewish Christians or other people from, from Jerusalem coming up to Antioch, and when Peter saw those people, he pulled away from the Gentile Christians as if somehow he can't be with them anymore. And all of this is gonna make sense in a few moments. Just bear with me. But Paul knew that was wrong, that it was hypocritical, you can't sit with someone at one point and accept them as a brother and a sister in Christ and then the next day rebuke them or stay away from them because you don't think they're as good as you are. Do you know what I'm saying? And as, and as Paul is addressing Peter in this hypocrisy and in this, this breaking of fellowship amongst the brothers and sisters in the church, I love what Paul does, that he doesn't just go to pragmatism he doesn't just go to practical things that a person should do. Now, Peter, you never do this. You always do this. Always do this, but never do this. He doesn't just give him a list of things to do. Rather, he settles into this theology, this, this doctrine of justification, and he teaches him, and I think the whole church in Galatia, as we're reading this, what it means to be saved in Christ Jesus. And if you have that understanding, then there is no reason to not fellowship or hang out with other believers. Can I let that sit for a moment? That in Christ Jesus, that if we are saved by Christ and the work that he's done for us, all of us, uniquely with our own pasts and experiences, all of us, if we've come together in Christ Jesus, there should be nothing that keeps us separated in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> no, it's true. So anyways, um, let me read the passage. You're like, Jeff, what are, you, what are you talking about here? Let's read it together. Starting here in verse 15, reading through to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth. Real quick, I apologize. Uh, this is um, Paul's continued rebuke to Peter. So he'd started rebuking him last week on the few verses before it. This is, he's continuing this conversation with Peter. So the we here is Peter and Paul. So we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Why? Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But, verse 17, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, if we too were found to be sinners, well then Christ, is, is he not then a servant of or a minister of sin? What? Certainly not, says Paul. This will make sense in a little bit. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I proved to myself to be a transgressor or a sinner. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ and it is now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is pretty heady stuff. But understand the context of what's taking place. This is about disfellowship in the church, and he, he addresses it with this, 
doctrine of justification with this understanding. So I just want to go through a few of these points verse by verse. I have a few pages of notes, and I'm asking Holy Spirit to help us to understand this. Listen, if we just gather together to hear the talking head with the face mic, just say a bunch of words and sing some songs, and if we're not transformed by the things that we're hearing, it doesn't, it doesn't help us. So, so we need God to help us. Would you agree with me? We need the Holy Spirit to come and be, be with us. So I have a bunch of things to say, but we need God to say them too, okay? So we'll just let that go. Um, you guys can think I'm full of whatever, and that's fine, um, but don't think God is. <laughs> so anyways, uh, starting here in verse 15, uh, P- Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Calling another people group sinners is probably not the most politically correct thing to do in our world today, <laughs> right? But he jumps right in and he says, no, we're Jews by birth. All he's saying is this, like we grew up like in the Jewish faith, which just means this, that the Jewish people were God's sort of chosen people, special people, and they'd been given this law. He's, he talks a lot about the law, the Mosaic law. It's the law of Moses, and the Jewish people had been given the law from God. You remember the stone tablets, the ten tablets? You've seen the movie, right? So that law has been given to God's people. And because of that law, they had a relationship with God based upon that law. It's a contract, if you will. If you've ever been to a wedding and there's the, the vow part of the, the ceremony, did you know that's the legal part of the ceremony? I marry people all the time and I tell them, what do you want to do for your vows? Ah, we don't really want to do vows. I'm like, well, then you're not really going to be married then. I'm like, we can have cake and punch or whatever, but we're not married because that's the contract of the wedding. If there's an annulment, if the the divorce were to take place or whatever, what you go before the judge and say is that the vows were broken because he said he would always forever and always, and she said she would forever. You know what I'm saying here? That's what I'm saying. So this is the covenant, the contract that God is having with his people. It's the, the commandments. It's the law. And the Jewish people had the law, and the relationship with God was, was birthed out of that, was based upon that. So if they were in right standing, if they were accepted by God, it was because they were following the law. The Gentiles, on the other hand, did not have the law because they were not God's chosen people, and thusly they were considered to be sinners. Why? Because they couldn't keep the law because they never had the law. So there's already this sort of us and them mentality. We've sensed that in our own world sometimes, don't we? It's us and them and us and them. But in Christ Jesus, we're all one. So anyways, he's saying that we were brought up as law-keeping Jews, but the, the Gentiles, not so much. They're sinners. But both he and Peter have come to know something about Christ. They've come to know that Christ and faith in Christ can save people, can save Jewish people who follow the law and wait for it, can save non-Jewish people, Gentiles who don't know the law. Christ can transform their lives too. And both Peter and Paul know this because they've experienced it. Both of them have been preaching to the Gentiles, to groups of people who are not Jewish, and they have seen the Holy Spirit come and change people's lives. They have seen people's lives be radically transformed. They have seen signs and wonders and miracles, you name it, all the stuff is taking place, which is proving to the reality that God is 100% behind it. So even though we, Peter, we grew up as law-keeping Jewish people and the Gentile sinners did not, we know something's different now because of Christ Jesus. Do you sense what he's driving towards? Verse 16, he mentions justification three different times. He says this, that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So we have believed in Christ Jesus. Peter, you believe, I believe, we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by our faith in Christ. We're not justified. We're not accepted by God because we follow the law. 
because we obey the works of the law. Because why? Because by the works of the law, no one can be justified. Christianity and the Bible, it's been made to emphasize an array of different subjects over the years. But this is the central message of the Bible. <laughs> this is the, what the Bible is driving towards, that God is trying to redeem his people and he's doing so through Jesus Christ. The root word of justification just means righteous. It means you're right before God. And if we have to be made right before God, it implies the fact that we are not right before God because we are, in fact, sinners. And this is not something that we want to hear most days. I know before I became a Christian, the last thing I needed someone to tell me was that I was a sinner. Anyone? Because I already felt like a fool in most everything I did. Maybe you're, I'm alone in this. But the life that I was living on my own pushed me in directions and caused me to do things. I guess it didn't cause me. I chose to do them. But I did things that I carried around much regret and remorse for. For someone to call me a sinner on top of that would make the sting uh, even more so in the wound, if you know what I mean. That's right. But that's what we are. That's what humanity is. We are, in fact, sinners. We come by it naturally through the fall in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered into the world. So we have to be made right before God, and we can do that in a couple different ways. We can follow all of the rules, and good luck to you. <laughs> Been there, done that. Don't work. Because <laughs> there are some days you just don't have the strength, yes? At church world, we call that Monday. <laughs> we barely have the strength to get up out of bed. Anyways, you can do it through the works of the law, you can do it through obedience, or you can do it through Christ Jesus. And if I was to, hint, hint, spoiler alert, I'm telling you, go through Jesus. It's the way to go. Verse 17, I have plenty of time. Um, but he says, if in our endeavor, Peter, if you and I in our willingness to be justified in Christ, if we too were found out to be sinners, then we could say that Christ is a servant or minister of sin, right? Okay, follow this. What's happening is um, Peter, there's a, there's a law, a ceremony law of Jewish people that they were not allowed, not allowed to eat with Gentile sinners. It goes back to this idea that if you eat with someone who's sinful, that you're going to become sinful yourself. And so the Jewish people had a sort of this distinction amongst themselves that we're better than them, we stay away from them. But in Christ Jesus, all people have been made one, right? So we thought, and so Peter's eating with Gentiles and this and that. That is until the people from Jerusalem come up, and when, when he saw those Judaizers from Jerusalem come up, he pulled away from them to treat them like sinners again. And what we're learning is these Judaizers thought this, that the people who are Jewish and are following after Christ, because they were hanging out with sinful people like the Gentiles, they were calling them sinners too. So they're saying, oh, you're following Christ and you're eating with Gentiles? Well, you're sinning now. So they say, well, then Christ must be, ministers, or be a minister of sin or Christ must lead you into sin. He goes, this is bonkers. This is bananas talk. This is not true. And why? It's because you have a misunderstanding of justification because you people still think it comes from obedience and the law, and I say it's coming from Christ Jesus alone. Amen. And which camp are we going to be in? This is, what, this is what you have to understand, that if we want you to have a, a fellowship that's united in Christ Jesus, we have to understand this first and foremost. It has to be paramount in us that we are all the same and that Christ, in his great love for us, saved us. Some of you are really, really bad people. <laughs> and I am too. When it comes to the things of God, I'm a terrible person. I used to be. You see the difference? 
You see the difference that in Christ Jesus, we don't have to say those things anymore. So Christ is not leading his people to be sinners. They just have a misunderstanding of what sinning actually is. Is this making sense, Joe? If you nod at me, I'll move on. Okay. It'll also help you stay awake. So that's pretty, just keep your head nodding. Joe has a newborn at home. He's getting two hours of sleep a night. So pray for him. Anyways. So verse 17, we see that. Now, here's what's, been, what's funny. When these Judaizers, when these people from Jerusalem have come up into Antioch and have been accusing Peter and the rest of, of uh, breaking the law, uh, you know what they're being accused of doing? They're accused of sinning not um, in sexual immorality, not in deceitfulness, not in stealing, not in murder. You know what they're being accused of? Of eating with sinners. And they said, that's enough to cause you to be uh, outcast. He says, such behavior has put them on the same level as Gentiles. And Paul says, you guys are broken. You're wrong. Certainly not. That's not true. Paul refuses to accept that conclusion that Christ promotes sin. He does not promote sin. But from the perspective of the accusers, eating with Gentiles is sinful because the law forbids it. But from Paul's perspective, eating with the Gentiles, eating with Gentile Christians is not sinful because the, the gospel demands it. You remember Jesus, our Lord and Savior? What was the one thing he was criticized over a lot by the Pharisees and religious leaders? Because he was always going to eat with those tax collectors and prostitutes and all those people. Because Christ understands that the right standing before God doesn't come through obedience to the laws anyways. It comes through him. And his people, wouldn't it make sense that God's own people would hang out with people that others might call less desirable? <laughs> Doesn't it make sense that God's people would be a people who are accepting of others? Yes? Ooh, okay, we'll move on. <laughs> I, I went too far with y'all. That's okay. I'm not scared of you. It's okay. Withdraw from table fellowship. Right from eating, from hanging out with Gentile Christians, according to Paul, was hypocrisy. And Peter's being condemned for it. It's a violation of the truth of the gospel. The conclusion is, is that, um, well, I'm moving on here. So verse 18, let me go to the next verse. He says, if I, now this is what, I love what Paul does here. He's talking to Peter. It's really a we, but Paul says, but if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's trying to soften the blow here. You ever done this before? You're talking to people and you say things, like, well, you guys wouldn't be like that, but I do, right? Well, that's what he's doing here. And he's saying, you, you haven't rebuilt something. I'm the one who's rebuilding it. And he wants Paul or Peter to see this. But he says, verse 18, if I rebuild what I tore down, I, pro I prove myself to be a transgressor. What is he talking about? What is he talking about that's been rebuilt, that has once been tore down? He's talking about the law, that the law has been destroyed in Christ Jesus. And all of the obedience to follow has been wrecked. If you remember when Jesus was crucified and the sky went dark and he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. There's this crazy thing that happens in the temples. Anyone know the story? It says the veil in the temple was ripped in half. The separation between God and man was broken when, the, when Christ was crucified. And you had to follow the law to get into God's good graces before, but no longer. Now you have immediate access to God because Jesus Christ has done something unique. And if you rebuild the law, if you come back to commands, if you say, okay, you can be a Christian, you can have faith in Jesus Christ, but you still have to do the ceremonial things like don't eat with sinners, and you still have to do the circumcision thing. And if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, that sounds weird, but that's what's going on in the church of, uh, in Galatia, that the, these Judaizers have come in, these false teachers saying you have to be uh, a Christian with faith in Christ, but you also have to follow all of the law too. And Paul's saying, you don't, man, you don't. Can I just say this real quick? I think it's helpful to obey some laws. 
think it's helpful to, God has a lot of good things to say, right, in the Bible about good living and right living, okay? I disagree on the circumcision thing. I'm going to throw it out there, right? I don't know if you necessarily need to do that, but I'll tell you, it's, it's probably good to not steal. It's good to not lie to people. Your life will go better for it. I think that's true. Hear me. But your relationship with God is not based on that. We'll get to that in a minute. That your acceptance to God is not based on what you do and don't do. It's based on what? Say it with me now. Jesus Christ. Is this helping anyone? Maybe. Maybe, it will. Maybe next week it'll hit. I don't know. But he says, but if you rebuild what you tore down, then you're causing yourself to be a transgressor. What he's saying is if you've rebuilt the law in your life, if you say you have to follow it all again, then you're bound to not follow one law. You have to, you're bound to follow all of them again. If you're going to lasso yourself into that arena one more time, then you are bound by the law again and again. And no one can keep all the law always. We've already discussed that. So if you're going to rebuild that thing, then you will find yourself to be a transgressor or what? A sinner. Again, if the law is your acceptance point into Christ, you will always fall short. Always, 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 always we will fall short. And if you rebuild that thing that Christ has torn down, you will always find yourself on the short end. That's why we can't rebuild those things. We have to let Jesus Christ do what he's done. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Here's that verse again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Finding acceptance in God through Christ Jesus means dying to the law as an instrument of that acceptance. We can put to death, my favorite thing to say is you can take the law and obedience and all those things that you think God is requiring of you to be accepted. You can drag it out into the street. You can put a bullet in it. You can drive over it with your car a few times if you want to. We don't need it anymore for acceptance to God. We've been set free from that. Paul means that in God's reckoning that he, Paul, has already paid the price for his sin. As we opened this morning, we talked about standing before a just God in our sinful state and that God says not guilty. Why? Because our sins have been, our condemnation has been placed upon Jesus Christ. And Paul understands this now. In Christ Jesus, he, he knows that he was, in fact, personally, he was crucified with Christ. He doesn't need to suffer the death and punishment from his sin any longer. Why? Because someone already has Jesus, and he gets this, and this is primary to his identity. This is the stuff that you and I must understand. Uh, Okay. Paul knows that he's been reckoned good with God. He's already paid the price for his sin through Jesus Christ. In verse 20, we see this. The gospel, what the gospel has done to save and to sanctify is basically a man is saved in fa- with faith in Jesus Christ and he has died in Christ to the law, to the works of the law. Christ now lives within that person, within you and me, enabling us to live righteously. And we are now able to live a new life by faith. I love this, not by what? Works. And that is vastly superior to the old way of life. Oh my gosh, if we could just hear that. To live by faith, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into the things that we could do and should do and shouldn't do instead of just rules. Wouldn't you rather have a Holy Spirit leading you anyways than just the things of do's and don'ts? I don't know. I mean, sometimes you need both. I get it. But I'm telling you, I'd much rather follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit than what you should and shouldn't do. 
He says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Nullify just means to set aside. If he's going to set aside what Christ has done for us, then um, if we're going to nullify the grace of God, if we're going to set the grace of God aside, it means Christ died for no purpose. Listen to this. I'm going to read these things. This is going to hit you in the face. Apologies in advance. In Jesus' name. Uh, and I hope it stings because it needs to sting a little bit because it's hurt me. If a person can be saved by baptism... If a person can be saved by being a member in a church, if a person can be saved by helping the poor, if they can be saved by trying to be a good person, if a person can be saved by any other work on his own, then Christ died for nothing. Hmm. If there's any work that is required of us to be saved, then we have nullified the work of Christ. If we somehow surmise in our finite little minds that there's something else that God wants of us, that he requires of us to be accepted. If you're a person who, who's been set free from Christ, by Christ, um, but you still carry this sort of shame and this guilt, this little routine that runs in your mind, like you just got to do a little better. I, I, I got to get to church a little more because I know God to be more happy with me. I got to study my Bible more. Listen, study your Bible, go to church. I, I, I work at a church. I think it's great. You should come. But if you're carrying around guilt and shame, if you're carrying around this idea that God hasn't accepted you because of those things, you're nullifying the work of Christ. That somehow, oh my gosh, check out, look how smart you are. You've figured it out. Your salvation is actually dependent upon you. That's mocking. Did you hear that? Right? I say this in love. And I say this having been a person who's, who's lived a life like this. Many people go to churches for decades and they never get this understanding. And so they always walk around self-flagellating themselves, beating themselves up because they didn't do as well as they thought they should. And they walk around beat up all the time. You have a misunderstanding of the work of Christ. You have nullified what God has done. If a person can be saved by any other thing than what Christ has done, we're doing it wrong. God makes it crystal clear. All right, good, I got some time. All right, I wrote some things down in pencil this morning. As the, uh, I got up early, I always do that on Sunday when I preach. Um, and I wrote some things down, and I, I didn't know if I'd have time for them. So with your permission, I'd like to say these things that I wrote down. Is everybody mad at me now? I don't understand. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, if you're gonna be mad at someone, be mad at me, it's fine. Um, I opened this morning with this idea that there's been disfellowship that that's the thing that's working, operating in the church in Galatia. And this is the thing that's really incensed Paul. It wasn't just that the theology or, or their doctrinal understanding of justification was a little off. It was those things. But it, it was driving them to disassociate with other people. It was this breaking of the body of Christ. It was this breaking apart of people who have faith in Jesus Christ into separate groups again. That's the thing that was pushing um, Paul's buttons, so to speak. And so this morning, I was thinking about that for us. And this is something that I, I, I pray comes from the heart of a pastor. I'm a pastor. I don't know if you know that. I'm a pastor here at this church. And for the first number of years that I was a pastor, I oftentimes ran away from that title. 
I didn't like to be called a pastor. Well, number one, people think you're smart, and I'm not, right? Well, he's got all the answers. He's the pastor. Ha, ha, fooled y'all, didn't I? But you carry so much weight as a pastor. Like, sometimes I have to carry the things that I know you're going through, and I have to go to the scriptures, I have to pray to God, and God will give a message to me that I have to bring to you guys. And oftentimes, it's just not comfortable for me. Have I ever told you I'm a shy introvert? Did you know that about me? I'd much rather be on the couch right now than standing in front of you. This disfellowship hurt Paul, and it hurt Paul because I think he has the heart of God. And for the last couple years, I've been seeing this operate in the church. I don't want to say little church renaissance, but capital C church. That the church, the people, the men and women who have faith in Christ Jesus have separated over a number of different things over the last couple years. We don't seem to love each other well. If you remember Jesus' words in John's gospel when he says that the world's going to know who you are and that you belong to me because you what? Because you love one another. And he's not talking to the world, he's talking to Christians. Listen, the world is going to look at y'all in the church and go, man, those guys follow Jesus, look at them, because they just love each other. And I don't know that the world has been looking at the church these last few years and says, man, look how great that place is. Look at how much they love one another. You might disagree, you might say, Jeff, I don't know, I think we love each other pretty well. Can I just remind you of a couple of things from the last couple of years in love? Do you remember the election from 2020? Oh. Guys, we have another one coming in a few years. Like the clock is ticking. We, we have got to figure this out because the church broke over the election last year. It broke. And if it wasn't the election that broke the church into pieces, it was, it was mask or no mask. It was shut the church down or don't shut the church down with COVID. It was red or blue. It was, are, are you with me at all? And so this stuff has been, this has been a tr a tough for me. Caveat, I think those things are very important. They're just not the most important. That there is something that should unite us together, that we, in fact, should look very unique and different as Christ calls us all together Saving all of us, because Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that anyone who calls upon anyone, what's that? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that God saves all of us into his family. And if we can't get together on that alone, then we don't have the doctrine of justification worked out in our lives. Can you see this? 100% disagree with my politics. Please let me know. Send me the emails. I love deleting those. They're my favorite thing to do. Send them. You can send them right to my inbox, joe at rendicator.org. Joe loves those emails. It's better than cereal for him. He loves it. It's like breakfast. Disagree with me. You guys know I don't watch news. You know I don't watch the news. And I stopped doing it like 12 years ago. It has saved my mental health. And you disagree with me on it. Jeff, you need to be informed. Okay. I love you. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. We're still, we, you hear what I'm saying? We are still connected. Listen, but if we can't do that, if some of these other issues are going to drive us apart, if we're going to say things like this, I don't hang out with those people. Oh, 
I'm not even sure they're Christians. Did you know who they voted for last time? We are adding something to the gospel. We're saying that they have to be saved by Christ and, and, and something else. This, ladies and gentlemen, is called, it's syncretism. It's adding something to the gospel. And the gospel, hear me, it doesn't need it. Jesus Christ doesn't need it. God doesn't want it. You're just placing something else in the way. So, I want to, um, oh, okay, I'm out of time. Um, all right, let me, I'm going to take a few more minutes. <laughs> I'm in charge, so <laughs> stay. <laughs> you guys got anywhere to be? Give me just a couple more minutes. Um, the, the walls that divide us in the church, that keep us separated, that stops fellowship, Hear me when I say this. These things come from the devil. They're diabolical in origin. They, they are demonic in origin. If the church finds itself divided, it's because the, the devil is at work and there's a misunderstanding of what Christ has done. The, the things that keep us together, the loving each other, the charity and grace and the serving one another and the forgiveness from one another comes from who? Jesus. Jesus. So there's the works of the enemy and there's the works of Christ. And we need to see them not just operate in our own lives, but in the lives of our church. And I, I want to throw a flag for us. I've seen some things. I've seen some things. Maybe you've seen them too. All that to say, we've got to get this justification thing down. We've got to understand. Um, anyways. And when we understand all of that, um, it causes us Great segue here. It causes us to praise God for what he's done. That he has released us from trying to perform before him to be accepted by him because we are accepted by him through him. Amen? Amen. I really do like doing this. Um, uh, is Pastor Josh in here? I don't know if he's in here. He's in the nursery. Bless his heart. Um, braver man than me to be in the nursery. Uh, one of his daughters, Lizzie, came up to me this morning um, and said, Jeff, do you ever get nervous when you preach? Do you get anxious? And I said, every Sunday. Every Sunday. Um, but this one, not so much. This felt right. Um, I hope you see the love that I have for you and for the church. I hope you, hope you know God's been working a lot of stuff in me. I've been a person who's um, harbored unforgiveness towards individuals in my life lately. I'd love to tell you the story over coffee if you want to take me out for coffee. Um, call me, I'll tell you the story. I'm telling you, um, God is changing me. I'm beginning to understand the verses when Jesus speaking to his disciples says, if, if you can't forgive others, then God can't forgive you. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, that sounds weird. Like, that can't be true. Blah, blah. I get it. I'm starting to understand what's happening. When unforgiveness is operating in our lives, there's a brokenness in us, and God wants to work all that through. All that to say, there's a brokenness in the church. I've seen it, and I'm lovingly trying to call us out. That's it. So, All right. Love you guys. So let's pray together. So God, thank you for our time together. Would you bless us even more as we... Uh, finish up in worship.
Help us to praise you and to thank you for everything you've done. And then send us out, Lord, into the world to become um, the salt and the light that this world desperately needs. Help us, God, to be the very people that you've chosen to establish your kingdom here on the earth. Because your son, Jesus Christ, has ushered in a new kingdom. It's, there's a, a new way to live. There's, a, there's a, a, a new spirit to lead us and guide us. We no longer have to be led by regulations and rules. We are led by God himself. And God is using the church to establish that on the earth. And so we thank you. God, would you make us complete and whole? Would you help us to be the people that you need us to be to serve this broken and dark place that we call home? God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 